This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today. You are watching Forbidden Knowledge TV. Right on. Okay, just hit record. Now I'm going to hit live. So we're going to go live on the website here. I want to thank everybody for joining us here on the website. It's always nice to see a great crowd at leakproject.com. And we have a legendary group with us today, folks. Legends of legends, decoders of truth. Um, Billy Carson, Matthew LaCroix, Jay Campbell. And we've done some great shows in the past. I think it's been way too long, so I'm glad we have an opportunity to do this again. Y'all look amazing. And I don't know what you're doing, but it's working. Like, how have you been in this new world that we're living in? It's pretty wild. Are you in the metaverse yet? Oh, I'm working on the metaverse now. I'm actually going to build the Forbidden College in the metaverse and uh, which is going to be great. And I've got my own cryptocurrency, which actually is already out. I just haven't fully announced it completely to the world yet. I guess maybe some people will find out now the forbidden coin. And uh, it's being it's uh, it's in its final stages of being released a couple of platforms. And I'll be taking my own cryptocurrency on my own website. And I'm building a web directory of businesses that can take the crypto as well. So uh, just trying to you know continue to create new ecosystems. Brilliant. Yeah. Take advantage of that. Let's get NFTs of all of us out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we deserve to have the NFTs out there for real. An NFT of Billy Carson and Matt. <laughs> Jay, we could get one of Gerald Clark. All proceeds go to his oh, wife. Man. Oh, that'd be so <laughs> that great. Be cool? Give it to Krista. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be fantastic. Yeah, be awesome. yeah, it would. So um, I, I just want to say it's really great to see y'all. And I'm so happy to hear about your new ecosystem. That's awesome. I've, I've actually got some ideas in the works right now. The, the coins and the digital real estate and the NFTs, it's just, it's hot, super mm-hmm. hot. So take advantage of that opportunity and find something that'll connect, that'll make it real, you know, mm-hmm. make it a little bit different, unique. And I'm sure you are. Yep. Um, Matt, what are you up to? You're Guys? Now. Denver. No, you're north of Denver. No, I'm, well, I'm near Boulder, but yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to say to start out, though, it's an honor to be here with you, gentlemen. And if you remember, almost about a year ago, we did this uh, as well. And it was a very, very successful show. Um, I don't think Rex was, Rex was involved on in that one, though. But I'm glad that Rex is here. Um, I think that, that um, that's going to make this even a better a better show than before. So I'm looking forward to this um, discussion, guys. We're going to have some um, deep dives. We're going to go into updates. We're going to, we're going to have a a, a roundtable debate. 
something that seems to be largely lost in our society today, mm. debating a topic and not uh, allowing, you know, anger and then in different kinds of emotions to get involved in it. Mm. Um, so that's going to be a nice thing to, to um, go into. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm good guys. I've been creating some, some pretty kick-ass content at Gaia lately. Um, yeah. Of course, anyone who knows TV production stuff, everything has a huge delay. Um, so that's why you haven't seen anything yet, but Billy and Billy Carson and I have got a chance to work on some stuff on Gaia together and yeah. that's been pretty cool. Um, so look forward to that coming, um, early 2022. Nice. Awesome, nice. Right on, Excellent. man. Excellent. Now, now what have you been doing, Jay? A lot of stuff too, man. I think first off, it's an honor to be with all of you guys. Of course, myself saying that to you, uh, Rex and I just did an amazing show about what three, about, I think it was about five weeks ago, ago and then. Yeah, the, the, uh, opposing, the opposing forces made Rex take it down, and then he edited it and relaunched it. It was actually better, even I think after it happened. But uh, <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm uh, I'm also in the creation stream of, of of the world. You know, I launched a company uh, in 2019 uh, at the very end. It was actually it's two years. Black Friday is when we launched it, and it's uh, selling what I call golden age cosmetic peptides or cosmeceutical peptides for the hair and the skin. And, uh, you know, we're breaking through into the world now. Rex has actually been using uh, using them. And um, I think that 2022 is going to be a massive year for us. But uh, also creating courses uh, on using how to use peptides, on how to optimize your health in a mm. obviously highly decimated world and in, in, uh, in society. And those are all coming. So, again, I'm just honored to be here with you guys. I definitely, thankfully, have found time to research and to continue my pursuit of understanding arcane and esoteric research. And I, I truly believe guys, and I would actually say it's more of a knowing that 2022 is going to be the year that all of this breaks out into the yeah. open. Yeah. There are so many amazing researchers that are coming out with books and have come out with books in just yeah. the last year and a half, you know, Paul Wallace, we all know Paul Wallace, uh, you know, this guy, Neil Hegg just wrote this book, Orion's door, which I, yeah, desperately attempted to get through before this <laughs> podcast because it's so unbelievable. But uh, again, all of us are blessed to be here to be able to put this information into the universe to collectively crowdsource this so that more and more researchers can obviously use our thinkings and our awareness to go down uh, better and bigger paths. So again, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Beautiful. Right on. Yeah, right on. And I just want to say a couple of things I've been working on. So two graphic novels right now. The first one's complete. We are almost completed with the artwork. And we've got a second one in the works. So I think we're on chapter nine. Then we're also working on an ecosystem. We're going to do some NFTs. And we have talked about coins, but we just have to find the right coder and the right coin and the reason to put it together. On top of that, uh, there's a couple of TV programs that I'm working on right now. Really excited. I've been going around the Four Corners region substantially uncovering petroglyphs. I've had a, I just got back from a wonderful ceremony, a great friend uh, that's a Zuni elder. And uh, I think I was probably the only, anyway, well, we'll talk about that later, but super excited to be out there and made some great connections uh, with Navajo, Hopi tribes and peoples, wonderful people. And I think that it connects to Egypt and ancient Sumer and Babylon and Greece and Rome. So cool. So let's talk about it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. This is great stuff, man. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> right on. Now, Matt, you would put something together of a Anunnaki, like the Anunnaki influence of humanity, as well as the golden age. And you want to talk about like the reptilian mindset and the, the mammalian mindset, right? 
Yeah. So I'm going to be just presenting just a, just a little bit of data to, to get us started, to get, to get things moving here. And then one of those things will be, you know, who are these creators of civilization here, these influences of where our story came from, of our timeline, all this stuff. And then one of the things that's going to come out of that will be discussions that go into a debate about really discussing, well, when you look into um, ancient Sumer, Babylon, the Assyrian Empire, all the way through the Persian empires, and and really um, civilizations around the world, you find these common influencers of creating these civilizations based on these divine rules and laws that get handed down from above every time. That's this commonality that's, that's shared around, around the world, and that those groups and the symbols that are shown for them is really consistent around the world of these similar influences that created civilizations from the the Americas, you know, like the Maya. Actually, we could we could even start by like talking about just adding in like the Anasazi of the Southwest, the Puebla people, um, right into the Hopi. There's some incredible stories in there that really may go beyond um, this ice age traverse narrative that we're taught about, you know, migrations from Asia, the Hopi don't say that at all. And neither do a lot of the other cultures. And then we can of course move down into these influencers of, of the Mayan realms and the Aztec realms and the, the areas of the, you know, the, the pre-Inca and all those groups of, you know, Tiwanaku and Pumapunku in Bolivia around Lake Titicaca. And of course, around the world, um, throughout the Mediterranean our regions, Turkey, right down through Baalbek, Lebanon, and Petra, Jordan, and all through these regions, we really find these very, very similar influences. It seems that they're the same type of group that is moving around, and some have different influences, and some have um, some competing influences, but it is the same group, and we could probably, as a consensus of this of this um, discussion right now, this roundtable is that that group is really best known as either the Yonuna or Anunnaki to the Sumerians, which right. is simply just an umbrella term for these higher up hierarchy yeah. beings that came from above and then created all these civilizations around the world. And so I just want to get us started on that conversation because what we're going to be going into at some point as we go here, after I just present a little bit of information is we can discuss that, but also we're going to get into a debate that I feel like is long, long overdue. A debate that Jay Campbell's laughing over there because, because this debate is like the heart of yes. the discussions online back and forth. And that debate is, are the Anunnaki reptilian or are they humanoids? And that's going to be where, as we get to that point, we'll get there, Jay. We're not there yet. The answer gonna, is tricky. We're going we're to get to that conversation. And let's just say Jay and I and the rest of the group, I don't, I don't know the positions that Rex and Billy are going to take, but we're going to have a lively debate. And then we're going to present our data and we're going to see, you know, which side, we, the, which side the, the evidence point, points towards. Um, but so having said that, I want to start the narrative off. By understanding that none of this information and what we're talking about, um, from at least my side, is based on any Zechariah Sitchin information. First right. off, I want everyone who does not know about this book to go look it up, despite the cover being a little bit strange in terms of what the content is. Um, this book is very important, and I highly encourage people to check it out. This is what's going to get us started with our debate. So George Smith was the first person in history to translate Sumerian Akkadian cuneiform tablets in over 1,000 years. So in, eight, in 1849, a huge catch of cuneiform tablets was found in Mesopotamia outside Mosul in a place called Nineveh, and it was called the Ashurbanipal Library. 
And that was found by Henry Austin Laird, which who was working later with George Smith. So George Smith traveled to the Middle East in the in the late 1800s and was part of those excavations. And they excavated enormous amounts of these ancient cuneiform tablets where you etch in symbols that is not actually based on an alphabet. Um, Sumerian Akkadian is actually based on, uh, it's a language isolate that's based on words. So if you want, which I'm, I'm learning to do right now is actually learn how to read Sumerian. You find out that you can't just learn an alphabet and then understand what the rest of it is. Each character has its own value. So you have to literally learn thousands and thousands of characters to be able to understand this dead, this dead language. Um, but essentially what it comes down to is that George Smith was the first person and seriologist expert to actually understand how to read that language. And nobody knew how to do it. And the first tablets that were translated was, was with the Epic of Gilgamesh. So to make a long story short, just to give that introduction of who George Smith is, he, in my mind, is the, is the father of cuneiform. Everyone else who learned how to, how to read and decipher cuneiform came after him. Stephanie Daly, Samuel Kramer, and a, and a host of other individuals. This is where it started. He was the one who figured it all out. And that's what this discussion is all about, because he, he, pre- he provided some very, very specific um, information at the end of the book and as a conclusion that I want to create a, a topic to discuss here before we get into the debate, Jay. And that is this concept of what role did these creator gods have on our history? And when I and, and I don't mean just even mean human history. How about Earth history? And this is what is so fascinating. And guys, I want to read this quote here, just this piece pieces, and we can discuss it. But essentially, the strange thing about the Anunnaki is they seem to be obsessed with timelines. They talk about it all the time. Billy Carson and I have done shows where they call themselves the ordainers of destinies and how they they ordain the destinies of all heroes and all major influences on in, in the human story. Mm-hmm. So there's already that piece of information we find from a whole number of different tablets. So George Smith has read and deciphered more cuneiform tablets than anyone else in history, hundreds and hundreds of them. And he presented a conclusion at the end of the book, which is what I want this this debate to be this discussion to be about is he says, and this is, this is phenomenal because he is the top academic expert in this area. And he concluded his thoughts on these influencers, these Anuna Anunnaki influences of history. And he said this, and I, and I quote at the end of the conclusion of this book of uh, the Chaldean account of Genesis, he says, most of the other stories so far as I can judge are fixed on the great period before the flood, these pre-Diluvian civilizations, when celestial visitors came backwards and forwards to the earth. And then they talk about how the inhabitants of the world, the world became divided by good and bad. And he goes into these accounts about how Barosis, an ancient Babylonian priest, supported these um, enormous long reigns of these early kings we find from the Sumerian king list and the Uruk list of kings and sages as living for ruling for thousands of years and how these influences of, of those genetic bloodlines seem to come back to these celestial visitors. And those words that I just want to like bring up again is coming backwards and forwards to the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, now what I, what, how I see that guys, and I would love your opinions to get into this, but it sounds like if based on like the Enuma Elish, Billy, and how yeah. something about how early human history coming here and affecting 
affecting the, the solar system and before and something about how life earth was completely in chaos through tiamat and they mm-hmm. had to like conquer and maybe like terraform the earth or whatever it yeah. is but the point is so the anunnaki seem like this group are they're just time travelers they're mm-hmm. coming to the earth a certain time because they have a certain reason and they're coming later again to like create civilizations and so i want to get your opinion guys and maybe we can start with billy um yeah like how do you does that jive with with all the things you've studied on these creator gods and, and their influences? It's pretty interesting uh, that you brought this up this way because one of the things I've been trying to have a you know a hypothesis on is have some of these Anunnaki been able to travel back and forth through time. And when they called themselves the ordainers of destiny, I was able to dig a little bit deeper and I realized that they were talking about uh, seeing the future with some type of maybe potential device and seeing the superposition of all the potentials that could occur and then seeing the actual one future timeline that they wanted to collapse into their reality. And then they would go about uh, putting forth the conscious effort and energy and making all the right decisions to collapse that reality. Like It's like collapsing a wave function in right. physics, right? right? And so they would collapse this reality into their tunnel And by that method, they were the ordainer of of destinies, not only others, but even their own. And the fact that only the elite of the elite had access to these these portals, these stargates that they would walk from Earth to their home planet and back and to other places. I'm wondering now, after studying a little bit more of the physics of these stable wormholes or potential theories, the theoretical physics of them, can you walk backwards and forward also even in time? You know, so it's something that we really can't rule out. The fact that some of them may have had the capability of moving back and forth in time. And could some of these ancient wars be temporal wars? Right. You know, right. it's it's something that we have to now, I think, add to the thing and consider and just really, you know, uh, me- meditate on it for a little while and look at some of the other statements that we've maybe seen before, but hadn't really grasped the full meaning of them. Because it's very possible that some of them had the capability of moving around in time. Well Beautifully said. stated. Yeah. So I, I would add, comment on that, Jay. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so first off, I just want to say Matt and Matt thinks he's going to be debating me, but he's actually not going to be debating me because we actually <laughs> agree. But as when we get to that place, I will explain like our differences in opinion, which I really don't think are differences because this place is such a confused, uh, division or or i should say like billy just said temporal but i mean essentially the third dimension is a dimension of vibration mm-hmm. and we are all just caught up in the waveform as you just said and there are beings that can manipulate the waveform and we'll talk about that but to your point what you were just saying is i truly do know from the works of um wow her mind just uh uh I just lost my 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 train of thought. But uh, from from the works of the, the lady that does all the um, the regression hypnosis, uh, what is her name? Um, my God, I can't even think of. Um, I literally just had a total brain fart. Sorry, guys, I've been re- reading so much today. But uh, that's all right. Um, I, I can't believe I can't think of her. But 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 is her but, first name Mary? No, no 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 no. This is the famous author who's written all the books. Um, I can't think of her name. Dolores Cannon. Jesus. Dolores Cannon. Okay. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, she has talked about what you're talking about, Billy. Yeah, that these beings, whoever they are, whether they they are the Anuna, 
or they are somebody else, they are the builder race, whatever you want to call them, um, they do hijack timelines and they are going back and forth in the period of humanity to adjust us. Think of what was it, the Adjustment Bureau. But like in reality, they are going back and forth to perfect us so that at some point we do reach a quote unquote new, new earth or a golden age. And even all of the lore of ufology, where it goes into the abductions and all of that stuff. And again, people have memory implants and people talk about being moved out through physical homes and cars into ships or whatever, that all of that is a temporal, again, creation where people are being manipulated through the waveform reality to another waveform reality outside Mm. of the third dimension. And they're shaping people again, if it's human beings, if it's sapiens, whatever, to evolve us, I would say vibrationally, and of course, genetically, hmm. to eventually exist in this higher state of a being. Let's put, let's put it vibration, let's put it awareness, or whatever. But I think that's literally what is happening. And of course, as all of this is happening, we are in a war between the light and the dark, you know, right. the two inverse polarities of the nature of the third dimension, which is again, white, black, you know, dark light good mm-hmm. evil it's just yep. this constant you know shift of back and forth of like you know who serves the left-hand path which is what i would call the negative parasitic energies versus who serves the right-hand path which is the light and yeah. love and peace and and clarity and all that stuff so that's that's what's happening again in my opinion but we are being evolved and it is a very methodical very meticulous very conscious process that has been ongoing for who knows how many years. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. That yeah. sounds pretty good. Dolores Cannon. That, is that the lady that said something about um, the family of light? Uh, is that her thing? The family of light? Yeah. So she's probably gotten like 11 books and most of the stuff that she did was on regression hypnosis. And she okay. saw all these people, uh, you know, past and future who were coming into the different timelines as energy beings, as humanoid beings. Um, And so, you know, it's very positive. She's a very positive um, person. She doesn't really talk a lot about darkness. In fact, she says that nothing is darkness. It's just an intention Mm. that we are looking at based on our vibration when stuff happens. Like even the quote-unquote dark side aliens aren't really dark side aliens because they're actually involved in, again, manipulating us to a higher state of awareness slash consciousness. Okay. Interesting. I got to check out all her stuff now. (laughs) That, yeah, fascinating. And I wanted to jump in on what you were saying, Matthew, because when you first brought up the going back and, uh, and reverse, how how did you backwards and forwards into earth history? Okay. So when you said that, the first thing that I thought of was time travel. However, it could be something more realistic, like coming from a different horizon, you know, or, or a different part of the planet. Um, the, and I'm just throwing this out there because the yeah. astrotheology stuff that I, I've found out with the cuneiform tablets, like the Epic of Gilgamesh as an example, um, is it really Gilgamesh out there trying to reach immortality or is it a description of the hero's journey of people that reach certain levels of enlightenment and also different zodiac signs? Because mm. it, here's a quick example. Uh, Babylon, the mythology most associated with Aquarius is the Epic story of Gilgamesh and Kidu. His beloved companion dies young and unexpectedly. Devastated and unwilling to accept what fate has dealt him, Gilgamesh sets out on a quest to procure the herb of immortality, which he would use to restore his companion to life. The mother goddess, infuriated that a mortal would interfere with the natural order of things, sends a bull, which is Taurus, 
and a pride of lions, which is Leo, to prevent Gilgamesh from reaching his goal. However, Gilgamesh perseveres. His harshest test comes at the gates of the underworld, where he outwits and defeats the scorpion warriors who guard the entrance. Well, the scorpion warriors are is Scorpio. So if you take the zodiac, you've got Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and then Aquarius. And Aquarius is the age of man. Aquarius is the age of freedom and, and innovation and um, abundance and really reaching your highest self. It's the age of man. It's the age of whoa, man. So that to me is describing the zodiac will. Now, with that in mind, it also could mean that these people and these beings are practicing certain rituals and certain certain rites and certain spells, and they act particular ways. And they um, they put their they have a foundation of the you know the economy and industries and the aristocratic bloodline. It's all connected to the zodiac will. And then I also wanted to show this, which is even cooler, because you brought up the um, I just did a paper on this the early king list, the early kings, which is actually 432,000 years of kingship. And there's, there's 10 kings. And these kings are described by Barosus or Barosus, the high priest of Belmar Duke. And uh, you know, he's brilliant. This is in ancient Greece. Yeah. Yeah. Marduk, literally the Marduk. El Marduk. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the priest for Marduk. And with that in mind, look at the timelines of these rules. Each SAR is 3,600 years. Each SAR is 3,600 years. So these people are ruling for 36,000 years. This guy rules for almost 70,000 years. And is that really how long these people ruled? Or when you look at the number 432, 432 hertz is the frequency that cathedrals are tuned to. 432 hertz is a higher frequency to reach you know, um, higher levels of enlightenment. It's That's a, the angelic frequency, 432. Yeah, right. So could this also be encoding a multitude of information? It is. And also, could the SARS be referencing, maybe they return every 3,600 years, and they're checking on their foundation, they're checking on their people, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. these guys are really messing up, they're doing, okay. we're going to give you another SAR, we'll check back on you on our next round. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they came from the water, by the way. Um, this, this being comes from the water, he doesn't come from, from space, and he's got this fish suit on, and people are acting barbaric and crazy, and he's like, hey, look. Uh, you, you need to, you need to listen. Um, so I am just questioning now, are these newer stories from older stories where these actually peoples, or was it signs that took place in the heavens? So, so people that knew astronomy would say, I am Belmarduk. I am Inanna. I am, well, probably, probably a feminine that would say I am Inanna because, I, <laughs> but you get my point. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So I want to get yeah. your thoughts on that. Okay. And it's cool. It's fascinating. Can, can yeah. I jump in on that, guys? Okay. Um, so a couple of things there, Rex. Yes, you have pointed out there are celestial connections to the different zodiac constellations. And now here's where we have to be careful, though, because just because those connections exist and we find these archetype archetypal information for that hero's journey does not mean that the whole story should not be taken literally at all. And let me give you some, some proof for why that we want to be careful with that. In, if you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, yes, you find out he was seeking immortality, but he was also seeking immortality for himself as well. And what, one of the things he, he goes down, if you go past those celestial um, connections you had with the Zodiacs, you find that at one point in the story, there are very specific examples to real things. You find out he's a tyrant king of the city of Uruk. 
Okay. So if he's not real, like if it's just a, a, a parable or a story to teach the hero's journey, we find these particular areas within it that point us out that, well, look, no, there are aspects of the story that are really genuine from an actual king that goes on an actual journey. Now let's expand on that. So he's a tyrant king from the city of Uruk, okay, which we know is in Mesopotamia, um, near a lot of these other ancient cities. But we find out some really interesting information from the Epic of Gilgamesh. We find out that he was specifically a post-Diluvian king, okay? That's very important to understand. He talks about how when he goes to seek the, the, um, the seekers of immortality, he goes to the ocean at the end of the world, which if you look into what that is, it's the underworld. Okay, he goes to find an, a very individual, a specific individual. Okay, and that that individual he's going to find is the whole basis for how we know that the story is has literal aspects of it. He goes to find an individual named Untandapishta. Okay, and if you go and you look into who that individual is, it's the same individual who's known as Zayasudra, who is the author of Atrahasis, the the Epic of Atrahasis tablets. If you look up who that is, you find out that he was the last king of Shurupak before it was destroyed. And Shurupak was the last city that existed in the pre-Diluvian world. If you find the Sumerian king lust, Uruk was the kings and sages, a whole number of them, you find out that there was an ancient city called Shurupak before a great catastrophe came through and wiped everything out. This, the old kingdom, the old world, Okay. And he talks about how he's going to find that individual, okay? Because that individual was the only individual since then, a, a mortal human who was able to obtain immortality. This is, this is why Gilgamesh goes to seek him. And you find out that in, the, in a tablet called the Death of Bill Games, and Bill Games was another, another name for Gilgamesh, you find out that this individual, if you look into the story of how he survived this catastrophe with his family, he was given immortality by the gods, but they specifically stated the Anunnaki gods, they, because he was a royal bloodline of their bloodlines who, who they already could live for thousands of years because these beings that created them are literally immortal. And that's where that you get this immortality aspect into these bloodlines. So you find out that he, um, that um, Gilgamesh goes to seek this king, okay, named Untendapishtim in the underworld. And he finds him. And you have that famous scene where he goes to the, the, the boatman who takes him across the ocean. You know that famous scene they show in movies all the time. That's the scene of the underworld traversing these realms. Far on, yeah. Yeah, and, and he meets, he finds Untendapishtim. Okay, this Noah figure, this Atrahasis figure, and he has a whole conversation with him and he asks him, he's like, you're basically you're the only you're the last mortal human to ever obtain immortality. I want to know the secrets. And, and so Untendapishtim tells him this great story. He tells him how the city that he used to live in, Shurupak, was an ancient city, so old. And I've mentioned this many times, but it's fascinating that the gods were once in it. He says that they were once in it. And then when the deluge came through and destroyed everything, they departed from this physical reality is what he states. Now, what is, what's really interesting about it is that um, Atrahasis Untendapishtim basically tells Gilgamesh that you can obtain immortality if you can, if you can do these certain things, things like stay awake for seven days without sleeping or going down the bottom of the ocean to, to, um, 
to get some special plant that grows at the bottom and all these things. Gilgamesh basically fails each one of these tests. And he, and this is the, the ending I want to give here is that he goes back to Uruk empty-handed and disappointed. And he talks about how he gives the diameters and the specific ratios of certain um, castles and temples he wants to like build and all these things. But the whole point of this Rex that I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is yes, there are definite hero's journey, parable stories in here. There are metaphors. There are things that connect to the Zodiacs with the Taurus. The bull was of course not a real bull. It's definitely a constellation, but then you have all these literal aspects. So it really begs the question of, at what point do you understand what those non-literal aspects were? How does that incorporate fit into the story? Well, so, and, and you've heard the saying, as above, so below. Of course. And the aristocratic bloodline, especially many of these higher ruling orders, they would follow the stars and the constellations to a T. I mean, it was very important to them. This is what I wanted to show you. Uh, Utnapishtim. So in the Epic of Gilgamesh, you're right, Utnapishtim is um is is immortal utnapishtim is recognized also as aquarius so when gilgamesh is trying to find utnapishtim he's trying to reach the age of aquarius also listen to this utnapishtim once a mortal himself was tested for faith by the gods he was told by the voices of the gods to build a boat as the world was doomed to be deluged this is recognizable in modern religious mythology as noah in the book of genesis as a reward for his faith and actions utnapishtim was granted eternal life and given charge of the herb of immortality so it could be both i'm not saying that that isn't like that that didn't physically happen here but i can also say for sure that this is connected to the zodiac clock because we know what the Taurus is. We know what the Aries is, the age of lamb. Pisces is the age of Jesus, you know, Jesus, the New Testament. Now we're moving into the age of Aquarius. But when you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, it goes from Taurus. I'm sorry, it goes, yeah, it goes from Taurus. Then it skips to, goes to Leo. Then it skips to, goes to Scorpio. Then it skips to and goes to Aquarius. So it's going bang, 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 bang. You got the cosmic clock. And once again, that you can, you can prove, you can, you can prove that. And this other, the other stories there's just so many stories about the same journey with different names. I'm questioning whether or not. Well, here's another thing that could have happened, right? You've got you've got people that are passing on this information from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. So they could take something that actually happened, take an actual king that claims to be immortal or claims to be from the gods, and then write a story to match what he wants. You know, um, does that make sense? I think we're all right in a way. I think it's um, a combination of both. To be honest with you, I think that um, you guys are both right because just like in poetry, you have something called a double entendre, and in a double entendre, you can actually create a verse that has dual meanings or that covers the same thing but in two different ways. Uh, and so, if you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh. You can see where it has this hero's, uh, this hero's journey type of a feeling and these metaphors at the same time telling a literal story. It's a combination, I believe, of both. And a lot of the things that I've now read and studied from the ancient past seem to have these double meanings or these extra right. undertones that give you this extra esoteric wisdom or knowledge right. that you're supposed to seek and dig deeper into. So it's, I believe it's a combination of both. The only, by the way, that's exactly what Pierre Sabak says in his book. And he calls it the dialectic. It's an underwoven etymologic symbol, symbolic understanding that 
people see both sides if you have the awareness, right? So like if you're in the priest class and there's all these different names, the brotherhood of the snake and the serpent mm-hmm. kings and all these different things. But if you're in this ordained initiatic high level initiate, you know, whatever you want to call them, secret society classes, they do see that. So there is that that is inserted into the root origin of really all languages on planet earth. So there really is two sides of the same coin, so to speak, and that there's a story and then there's an archetypal, uh, you know, journey that Rex is talking about, but, you Mm -hmm. know, obviously Matt is saying that there is truth in the literal, but I'm going to shift this for a second, because I want to go back to that picture that, that Rex, you just showed. Can you put that back up there with the, with the, uh, with the Anunnaki God? Um, because I know we're going to get into this debate. We don't even have to go there yet, Matt. But I want to like just kind of just turn everything upside down and say that's that. Gilgamesh, by the way, on the right there. Right. So, oh, that's actually Gilgamesh right yes. there. Okay. There was which a, is why there was... it's interesting because he has a lion that he's right. holding, and the lion has a mane, which you know can only be a mature lion, and you can see how big it is. And right. I, so I, I he's do part think that was actually symbolic. He's one of these but, giant bloodline gods. Right. He's a high. You, you know what else it could represent too, Matt? And I, that's right. You're right. You're right. Let's do the double take here. It also represents okay. Leo, the constellation of Aquarius over Leo. Why couldn't it be which, both? Which would be, which I just would said you're right. So I said so we're both yeah. right. Hello. Wouldn't, <laughs> well, wouldn't that also mean, though, that that is who he's repping, that that constellation, that his class of people are from that constellation? I mean, it's, there's a very, very strong possibility. But anyway, what I wanted to turn this is from a standpoint of this dimension is a dimension that has time mm-hmm. outside of this dimension from what we understand from quantum physics, there is no time. We are measuring things from linear points of application. So outside of this awareness, let's say let's, we're talking about divine Anunnaki, you know, plasmatic beings that, you know, l- let's think of it like this. So people can understand this. If you saw the movie Prometheus, remember the giant whitish, humanoid beings that literally looked like they were plasmatic, but they were, they were taking some sort of physical form in this dimension. That is my opinion of what the Anunnaki are. And they could obviously be interdimensional. They could be masters of the waveform. They could literally not be physical, but because they have such power, they're divine gods or whatever, they can take on physical appearance. If we believe in the ancient, you know, all the giant stone, edifices and monuments, you know, Gobeki Tepe, obviously Machu Picchu, all these other places where these giant, you know, uh, sexy uh, Huaman in, in, in Peru, where I've been, you know, something big built these things. Yes, they use technology and harmonic frequency and everything to rise these things and to, you know, to have the precise cutting and of the stone and all that stuff. But again, it stands to reason that there were also very large beings that were involved in this. So all I'm saying is, and we can, we can take it from here now is that I do believe that there is a reptilian presence on earth. I do not know how to define it. It could be fourth dimensional or second dimensional, or again, outside of our physical construct. But I do believe that human beings were created by humanoid divine beings to, again, you guys have already talked about the hero's journey to figure out, and move our vibration from the awareness that we get through service to creation through serving humanity or all of, you know, creation at our highest and best capacity through love, through peace, through clarity, you know, through compassion, kindness, and all that creativity Mm -hmm. 
And this is just the path that we're on. And at some point, the reptilian, and we don't even have to call them reptilian, we can call them negative parasitic uh, left-hand path energies, came into this reality and have played their role from the left-hand side, from the negative side, from the suppression of consciousness, from keeping people in victimhood, vibrational energy. And so it's just been this back and forth, Star Wars type, you know, Spielberg, Lucas type war of the Sith versus the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And the Jedi represent, again, the light beings and the Sith represent the dark sided beings. And it's just now this giant, literally trans humanistic amalgamation that where we find ourselves today, right? Like I just did a podcast yesterday with one of the leading um, AI people on the planet. And he was just talking in scientific terms that this is where we're going. And he's not debating it. He doesn't have an opinion. He's like one of the leading minds on the planet. And I think you guys can see it, that that's where a lot of people are now pushing their consciousness into this transhumanist cyborg metaverse, whatever you want to call it, versus what I call empowered, divine, sovereign, and free. And the choice will be, where do you place your consciousness? Because at the end of the day, guys, all we are is consciousness. We're not these physical bodies. We are literally vibrating particles, standing waves of consciousness mm-hmm. or energy. We are plasmatic fire. And so that's what we are. We're not Billy, Jay, Matt, Rex. We are literally consciousness itself. Yeah. So to me, that's where we really want to take this direction of this podcast. We can talk about the reps. We can talk about who the Anunnaki were, but how are we going to evolve our consciousness so that this place does become the golden age? Well, check, check this out. And I just wanted to say, we've got a, we got about 50 people in the live chat on the website right now, leakproject.com that are making comments. And I want to thank you all for commenting. Somebody said, and this was so cool. This is about what uh, Matt and I were talking about. And uh, Lars says, if a rapper can write a quadruple entendre, imagine what a demigod can write. Right. Mm. That's 1500 <laughs> IQ on a Naki. Touche. Yeah. For real. For real. Touché That's real. That, man. Yeah. I like that. That was powerful. Yeah. I think we, I, I really like what Jay is talking about because we really have to understand that this as above, so below is it, it permeates everything in the entire multiverse and the multidimensional verse. And if you look at what the human brain can do in this dimension and then step it up to the highest level, in terms of seeing what's on the grand scale, well, let's look at the brain. The brain is encased in darkness. And the brain itself doesn't know what's going on out here. It has no clue. But the brain has friends. It has sight. It has ears. It has smell. It has taste. It has, it has touch. It has the senses. and even has more, but we're, we're, you know, we're relegated really to five until we really transcend. But uh, those friends go out. It says, hey, to the friends, go out in there and collect information for me. What's going on out there? Those friends go out and collect data, digital bits of information, but the friends themselves cannot really truly understand what they're collecting. They're just collecting information. They bring that information back to the brain. The brain then sorts it all out and projects a hologram, and we navigate through this matrix, this light matrix, based off of that data that's been collected by the sensory perception of these waveforms that collapse themselves into digital information and then project the hologram so we can maneuver through the matrix. Now, if you take it on the larger scale, now, consciousness is, is one mass consciousness out there that has now separated itself into Googles of entities. And I mean everything from the microphone, because it's made of atoms, to these avatar bodies, to yep. the paintings in our rooms and everything else, rocks, 
the blades of grass. And the purpose of this is for consciousness to send out its friends and to collect data and information. I believe that every single thing that vibrates transmits information back to source. And that source is subjectively understanding and gaining more wisdom and knowledge itself on the multiverse as a whole, as, uh, as everything continues to expand and grow. And maybe to even understand what is it like to be a blade of grass in the third dimension? What is it like to be, you know, Billy and Jay and, and Matt and Rex in the third dimension, even though we're all one, but we're slightly different tuned frequencies of the one. And so I think if we look at it that way, we see that there's this learning process, this learning program that's going on, trying to figure everything out and ultimately trying to usher everything back to this golden age, this cycle. And the real question is, how do we sustain the golden age? Because nowhere have I read that says you have to collapse. We have collapsed. We keep going through this cycle, this yuga cycle, but nowhere is written that says we have to go through a cycle. At some point, is it possible that mankind and maybe even the, the universal uh, you know, consciousness of, of, of sentient beings, do we get to a, a place where we can sustain a golden age? That's the real question, I think. Billy, uh, that's beautifully what you just said, man. And I don't want to hijack you, man. I want you to go. But I, 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 you know, from the words and teachings of Dr. David Hawkins, hmm. it will happen when enough of us get to this 250, again, you know, quantifying the map, this 250 yeah. of neutrality and then right into the 300 level of willingness yeah. and optimism because that's when the matrix shuts out. Because the truth is, is that the matrix is sustained on negative energy, mm. on people having differences of opinion, on fighting and debating, as Matt said on the beginning of the show. I mean, very few people in our community can even have a conversation without, now you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, all of that polarity is what sustains and feeds the negative energy forces. And we can call them archons. We can call them reptiles. We can call them a million different things. Right. But at the end of the day, it's literally just What's your the, problem with reptiles, man. It's the it's the opposite. I'm, I'm saying things that so we don't get taken off on you yeah. know, YouTube. I'm using codes. No, but it, it, it's 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 sustaining the energy and frequency that that left hand path, that parasitic negative energy needs right. to stay here in this construct. And we all agree this is a holographic universe, which, again, makes it a simulated reality. But that's the gift. Because each of us as individuals can create that reality and we can yeah. create our heaven on earth yeah. through the words that we think, through the actions that we take, and obviously through the thoughts that we focusly think. I mean, those three things give us the reality that we have. So, I mean, we could take this, you know, much deeper and talk about the negative factions that are here and have been here throughout history. But I think for all four of us, especially where we're at now, it's more about solutions. And what are we going to give to the people, the fine, amazing people that watch this show? And there's, there's going to be a lot of people that watch this podcast. Yeah. What can we give them right now in what is seemingly a dystopian reality, guys? I mean, yeah. you know, what about Australia right now? Like, look what's happening in Canada. Yes, we have to create our heaven on earth and we still have that ability right now. And we all four know that we're going into the golden age slash the new earth. But I want to like, you know, take this time right now to say, like, before the show is over, I want all of us to talk about things that we can do to help the people that are definitely disadvantaged, that are not in the United States, that don't still have and enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. Right. That's a that's a really good point. <laughs> you know, there's and, and what you've said is so true, because I've myself switched into solutions providing mode 
which is, you know, why I've got the TV network and the music and, and everything, everything I'm just trying to, whatever I'm used to complain about, I go, well, no complain anymore. Let's just right. create your own, make the, you right. know, provide the solution. And I think for a lot of people, um, even in other countries, they see this gradual progression where things look like they're getting a little bit better Then all of a sudden it collapses again. And it's, it's up and down like a stock ticker. And what they have to understand is that right now, humanity as a whole is like a baby trying to crawl. And we're now just trying to learn how to crawl. And then even when a baby learns how to crawl, it falls back flat on its stomach a few times until it can figure out the strength in its leg and the bounce between the four, the, the, you know, the, the two, the two arms and the legs. And eventually it's trying to crawl up on the edge of a couch. So it looks like it's getting ready to rise. We're rising now. We're doing right. good. And then all of a sudden it takes a step and it collapses instantaneously. It hits its head hard and starts crying and screaming. And so we're in this process where humanity really is this is this child co- collectively. And we're trying to learn how to crawl eventually to get up and take a few steps. But even when a baby starts to get a couple of steps, eventually it will fall again. And then it will stand up and fall again until it learns how to control the fall. Because walking is nothing more than a controlled fall. That's exactly what scientists define walking as, a controlled fall. And until we master the ability to have a controlled fall, we won't reach that age. But what it takes is, though, once we see a fall happen, once we see a collapse happen here, there, we have to we can't get so down on ourselves in the world that we want to give up. We have to realize that it's part of the process. Beautiful. Yeah, can I add on that, guys? I want to bring a, a few little pointers in, in there. So I love what you, you and Jay just said. Absolutely. Um, the one thing or a couple things that I want to bring up. One is that on the surface, it seems that our civilization with how broken we become and so focused on things like empty entertainment and the material world. And we have so much disrespect for our planet and we have lost almost entirely a a connection we once had to the cosmos and understanding this much deeper connection that we play with that. But and on the surface, it seems that we compared to all the other ancient cultures that have come before us, we almost don't deserve to go on to the next stage, it seems, on the surface. However, really what's interesting about this whole timeline story, um, this whole uh, storybook movie that it, it really was like the human, the human story, um, it's like a great play. And I see it as something much more complicated and much more um, much more designed and protected than a lot of others may think. It seems, I know it seems easy to, to, to have the idea of like, Oh, on earth, you know, we're just these sentient beings that happen to get here through, through luck and various other means and an asteroid or whatever could just come by and wipe us all out. And it really wouldn't matter. Right. Like the, the rest of the multiverse, the universe would go on and it wouldn't matter. But I would like to point out that I don't think that's true at all. And I think it's much more complex than that. In fact, I think, and this is going to be my interpretation of every ancient text that I've read in the world and the cultures and the traditions of, of those cultures is that what happens to this story may literally define the entire path of the multiverse. Mm. Now, that's a bold thing to say. It means that humans are an essential part of this entire story in the cosmos, right? Oh, well, how can that be, right? There's trillions of Earth-like planets throughout the, throughout the vastness of this multiverse. Why is this so important here? Well, this is where it gets very interesting, because according to the Maya and the Hopi, we're entering the either the fourth or the fifth stage of this current, um, these different epics that have come and gone with mm-hmm. civilization rising up and being destroyed and having to fall back again and restart itself. 
Now, every time subsequently, since knowledge was handed down, like you had an image up before of the code of Hammurabi. That's what that was, that, that stone tablet. Those are all based on these earlier time periods in history where we were given all this information and the blueprints for how to create civilization. But then over time, we, we think we're so smart now, but I think that we, we have only a fraction of the knowledge that we used to have pre-flood, pre-12,000 years ago, when these cultures knew incredible details of the cosmos and our planet and our role. I mean, look at the Pyramid of Giza. It's literally a reflection of half the diameter of Earth based on the ratio of the sun to the moon and the connection with like every actual celestial connection with the earth and and what's around us. It's all representation of the law of correspondence as above, so below. The ancients knew vast amount that we don't know right now, vast amounts. And every time you get these cyclical cyclical catastrophes, whether or not it's from solar, massive solar outbursts, coronal mass ejections, or some kind of a comet meteor impact, that civilization gets wiped out. And then more and more knowledge is lost over time, not gained. That's what we got to understand is that the knowledge all came from a specific place. And I want to go into where that came from. And then every time subsequently, we're on the fourth or fifth, fifth epic of this, it's more and more is lost. So then why do we have the right to make it? And all the other ones didn't because we're prophesized to make it this age, this, this time of of what we are. It's almost like if you were to imagine this, imagine for a second that the entire multiverse is like a great storyboard that's being played out. And you were observing that story and taking everything back in. If you were to have that story be interesting, right? Because really, I think boredom would be one of the worst things you could ever imagine for an, an infinite being that has to have something entertain it. And I think that we are that entertainment. We're being watched from all over the cosmos because we are the co-creators of our reality, but we don't know it. And so we have others trying to co-create a reality for us so that we have a certain kind of outcome that is not perhaps desirable to some. Now, you brought up some good points, guys. There's a lot of darkness and a lot of things going on right now that are really disturbing. But I I want people to shift their minds around to a completely different mindset. Think of it this way. Things only get like this, like call it like an Orwellian type of approach to laws and rules kind of ridiculous things, right? It only gets like this when you're at the eight, at the end of an age, because the worry is that because every zodiacal age and Brex brought this up showing the, the 12 zodiacs, every zodiac goes from a positive polarity to a negative over and over and over again. And Aquarius is supposed to be that great age where just like the Yugas talk about, we return to from a silver to a golden age. And we're on that precipice right now. But the, the problem is that when you go into those ages, the, how that age is defined is based on the, the collective co-conscious create, creation that's been presented by those beings there. Hence, if you try to create a world that's based on deception and darkness, and you allow those co-creators that are here to ingest that and, and project it, you're going to be having a completely different timeline going into that age. And that's what this war, it's a war of information and a war of energy. That's what it's all about. It's about trying to project and control where we're going to go and how our power should be stripped from us so that it can be, it can be basically um, determined by, by external forces. Hmm. Powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew LaCroix. That was, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's, what's neat about this conversation we're having is I think it's bringing our A game because we're also passionate about our, you know, what we research and discuss 
that um, when, like what I hear from you, Matthew, you've ton of facts, ton of information, like the details. I'm more of an abstract kind of guy. You're real detail oriented. Billy, you're real detail oriented. Jay, you're like freaking Hulk with an IQ of 160. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just, the, I'm a crazy guy in the garage and I'm loving all this, man. This is awesome. You don't get to meet many people like you all. It's, it's really, um, it's really a blessing. And I, I think that I just wanted to bring up also that the age of Aquarius, it seems like there's something trying to hold on to, to a power structure. Exactly. And I've heard theories uh, and ideas about how our, um, our consciousness is actually connected to the magnetic fields of the earth. And maybe you could look at that with a, uh, the human resonance, but I don't know. Regardless, if our minds are connected to the, the magnetic fields of the earth, the magnetic fields are flipping out right now. Mm-hmm. And if there's going to be an event, whether it's a solar flare from the sun or, or something incoming from space, if we could have a powerful enough magnetic field that could protect us uh, to an extent, whereas if we don't have that protection, it's going to take us back to an age of hunters and gatherers and doing our best to survive versus thrive, except for the pockets that seem to be tucked away in places that they might be able to survive these cataclysms. So there's, there seems like there's these uh, cyclical events and these uh, breakaway civilizations and the Anu, the Anunnaki, had much power on this planet before these catastrophic events. I, mean, I remember reading one Sumerian tablet that described the Anuna gods prostrated themselves on the ground because of the Thunderbird that came, which mm. to me is describing this major plasma event. And it's describing these beings as more personal versus like supermen, right? Because they're like, they're seeing this event. So they had to jump ship. They had to take off. Yeah. So I would say, Maybe there's a combination of like these divine spirits that work through peoples. And there's definitely evidence of a different species before these cataclysmic events. And you hear the saying, so easy to do a caveman could do it. They keep trying to tell us cavemen were stupid, yet they were the ones building megaliths with, we, we can't even find the tools. Yeah. We probably shouldn't call them cavemen though. Yeah. yeah. No, that's okay. So easy to do a caveman could do it. What? Build a freaking pyramid. I'll be a caveman. <laughs> Sign me up. Hello. <laughs> You're right though, man. Now we got to be politically correct about that. It's just, it's, they're very brilliant. They seem like the brilliance that was there. We've lost that. You, you yeah. said it. There's so much that we've lost. And that was my two cents. That I wanted oh, to Matt, let me ask you the question. And this is a profound podcast and I'm definitely humbled and grateful to be with you guys here today. I mean, all, all of you guys have prodigious intellects and much, which most important, bigger hearts. Uh, and that's what matters. That's what matters. You know, the mammalian genetics or DNA of whatever we are, whatever kind of transmogrification we are, you know, the mammalian DNA is what allows us to expand our consciousness and to save, not save, but, you know, help others, other sentient life forces. Um, but let's just get to it because I don't want to like not talk about it in a little bit of a way for people because they really do want to answer. Are we all, then we can just go down the path, but are we all of the mindset that the Anunnaki, the Anunu, uh, the, the Anun, there's so many different names for them, depending on culture and stuff like that. Are we all of the mindset that whoever they were at base essence, because I think they've been hijacked. I literally think that consciously they, there are groups that have attempted to hijack their actual who they were are we all at base essence of a belief that they were humanoid beings? Yeah, I believe they were humanoid beings for sure. I mean, just based off of what I read and their interactions with the physical reality and their capability of moving things around and taking off and landing and building and instructing and teaching. Um, 
And I think it was a lot easier back then to interact with mankind on a face-to-face basis just because we didn't have any weapons that can hurt them. <laughs> now we become gun blazing immediately. I mean, you know, the second we see something, we want to blow it up. And I think back then it was a lot easier for them to interface with us and interact with us and, and live amongst us because there's nothing we can could have done to hurt them. So what Matt, if they are? They, oh, go ahead, Max. Like, oh, yeah. I was like, what if they are us? What? Because first of all, right. When, when you're a seven and a half foot tall Viking dude that comes over to to America, you know, two thousand years ago, there's going to be the, the natives are you know five and a half feet tall, maybe some of them are much shorter than that. They've got different colored skin, and they're seeing these giants get off these boats. And I'm I'm wondering if the stories of the giants are referring to people that came over from a different part of the planet. Would it make more sense that? They came over from another part of the planet. They started messing with genetics. They got into technology. I mean, they got spaceships. They can definitely mess with genetics. So are they necessarily aliens from out there or are they people from here? Well, okay. That's a great point. First of all, I think we got to be careful with that term alien. Um, Cause I wanted to bring up like how we could maybe look at it in a different way, but I want to point something out to you, Rex. Um, if you remember, we did a while back, we did a show about Moses um, and about the, the real story about Moses that's told more in the, um, the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Numbers, where in that, and I highly encourage you guys to go check that show out, um, very uh, definitely can make a lot of certain religious, Abrahamic religious people angry. But again, that's I only go for truth. But in that, in those stories, ignore that whole basket going down the river with him becoming this prophet. Ignore that for a minute, because I can't even find evidence that that story even existed. What I, what you actually find, and this isn't hidden, you go find in the book of um, Deuteronomy and the book of numbers right out in the open. And I, Billy and I have talked about this. It's going to be part of the new book is that in that it's actually tells a very different story. Mm-hmm. It tells a story about how Moses was actually chosen um, by uh, a powerful being that is in that in that text is known as Yahweh, and it's it's talked about how he was chosen to be like this ruler of of the of the ancient Hebrew people, the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and how and that's that's fine. But the problem was there's this whole other aspect of the story that is very very telling on what was going on at the time. And what was going on at the time is that is that Moses was commanded by Yahweh, and this is not me making this up, go read those texts, go check out that show I did with Rex. But it's the whole, the whole story is goes into very detailed descriptions about how Moses was commanded to go destroy these giant Kings of Canaan. Okay. That region of Canaan was the area of Sirius and Lebanon today. Now, Lebanon is where Mount Hermon is, which in the book of Enoch is where the, the ancient, the angels descended to Mount Hermon and came down and mingled with humans. But I, but getting back, Go read those two texts because what happens is in that you find out that Moses and the 12 um, spies, 12 spies of Israel is what you want to call them instead of tribes. Their whole task was to go invade the land of Canaan, which they called where the sons of Anak lived. Okay. Right. The giants. Um, also known as the Raphaim, which is the Hebrew term for giants. Right. Now, Noah are uh, not like Noah. basketball players of today. Yeah. So Moses was commanded though to go wipe out these certain bloodline abominations they call, okay? And what was happening was those kings of Canaan was the last legacy of the giant kings that used to exist in the entire world. They were, that was the last pocket of them. 
in, and there was used to exist all around the world. Magellan saw them in Patagonia. We, the, uh, the Romans were fighting them in Germania. There's a, there's a huge amount of a whole topic that go down this road. But the there, point is now there's but, some still here right now. Well, perhaps, but in terms of like a royal bloodline giant, what you find out is that Moses was going to conquer the last of this bloodline, part of Anak, the sons of Anak. His name was King Og, O-G, okay? And there's very, very detailed information about him where he was the last of these giant bloodline kings. He was, when, when Moses went and they conquered all of these cities, they said that they conquered 60 walled cities, killing every woman, children, and person in these entire cities because their idea was they was commanded to wipe them out and cleanse the region because of these abominations. They find, they kill King Oak, okay, he kills him, and they, um, they find his bed, and his bed is reported to be 13 and a half feet long, okay? Ironclad, 13 and a half feet long, and he supposedly was nine to 10 feet, and he was being hunted down to be killed now, I want to add one more layer to that. In Avaris, Egypt, there was a discovery made in, in 2012, I believe it was, where they found this huge catch of giant hands, giant hands, right. okay? Right. And when they yeah. found them, they, they, they found text and information that went along with it, that one of these Egyptian kings of that era was paying a certain amount of gold if you could cut off and kill when it's these giants that ruled in different places and you would get a certain amount of money if you could bring back those hands. So these giants, these Nephilim, these bloodline ancestors that connect all the way back up to these, the Royal Anuna, they were very real and they were being exterminated from the earth by certain individuals because they had bloodlines. And this goes back into what we were just talking about at the very beginning with Barosis's list of kings in Babylon and the Uruk list of kings and sages and the Sumerian king list, because they lived far longer than other genetics did. And that's why they were being sought to be wiped out because of those, some of those connotations. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just- interesting. That's right. Just, just real quick, Rex, there's a book that you guys can get. It's a very obscure book. It's called The Solomon Island Mysteries from 2010. And I read it back then. Mm. And it's an, a lie, a real accounting of the Solomon Islands and what goes on there. Now, if you guys know anything about the Solomon Islands, it's literally almost impossible to get there even today in today's yeah. day and age. Like you have to traverse like this giant wave that takes a very large ship. There's all sorts of gems. There's all sorts of stuff. If you look into the amazing history of the Solomon Islands and what goes on there, but there are human beings through World War II and up until the modern day who literally can prove they have images and photos. All this stuff is suppressed. There are wild, what you would call indigenous giants still living there that are somewhere between 15 and 20 feet tall. Now, if you read that book, it's pretty amazing stuff. And again, it's from 2010. It's called Solomon Islands Mysteries. I had that book. I read it a long time ago. But uh, to your point, Matt, there's no question the giants are real. The Smithsonian has all sorts of red haired, you know, uh, from antiquity in the States, from Colorado, mm-hmm. from Western or I'm sorry, Eastern California, even in Northern California. Some of these bones yeah, from Midwest, especially too. 13 yeah. to 14 feet tall. Okay. They have these, they're suppressed, they're covered up. They've even found them wrecks in Colorado. There was like a giant underground catch of them somewhere in the red river area. So all of this stuff is being suppressed. So the bigger question for us to answer this and to identify is who is suppressing this, you know, pre-Diluvian 
race of giants mm-hmm. and why? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really come from super high up because even uh, the um, the Smithsonian has actually even admitted that they took that they did dump yep. some of these bones in the ocean. Yep, which is crazy that that finally came out. But I guess they had a little bit of pressure, but they admitted to it. And um, you know, somebody high up, a small group of people, very very high up, want a specific agenda to take place. They want to be the ordainers of destiny. Yeah, on, exactly. on the consciousness of mankind and where they where they want to direct us, and they know that information about giants and and nephilim and and spaceships in the ancient past and ancient technology that doesn't allow them to collapse the reality that they want. Right. right. So they have to keep hitting us with all this propaganda and this control and this controlled information to 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 create the reality that they want, and we have to find a way to snap out of that reality, which is so what is, is that Billy to, to your point. Mm-hmm. Is that the remnants of the Anuna still here? And are they incarnated in physical bodies as consciousness? Or are they still the original left behinds or leftovers? Because as you said, Matt, they're essentially immortal beings. Yeah. They literally survived hundreds of thousands of years. It's so possible that it's actually kind of scary because these beings could be still here, or they could have done what Thoth talks about. You know, they clone themselves and create yeah. new bodies and then transfer Stasis. their consciousness into right. a new body. And by that right. method, they can go on literally forever. That's what I think is happening. I think that they have that technology. They're transferring consciousness. I really do. I, I think that's the most believable, uh, especially in this contaminated environment, right? Because if an immortal being was here, I mean, there's not a lot of fresh water <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <laughs> but if They can't make monoatomic gold as easily now as they could then. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. I, I wanted to make a, I wanted to make a point real quick. When you brought up the transferring consciousness, if the light can do it, the dark can do it, yeah. and it it seems as if as much turmoil, there's an opposing faction. No, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction in this dualistic universe. And so if we are reaching these higher levels of enlightenment, these higher levels of consciousness, then there's going to be an opposing faction to kind of be like the balance board. Exactly. But I thought that that was brilliant how you brought that up. And, and somebody else brought up, I think it was Matthew, you brought up, does the matrix run, or maybe it was you, Jay, or both of you, does the matrix run off of negative energy? And maybe there's two matrices. Maybe, maybe there's a matrix for negative energy and a matrix for positive energy. And when, when people start to realize that and they start to manifest their thoughts quicker and things start to really just click and, and, and become abundant and healthy and exciting for them, maybe it's because they're, they're somehow bilocating into that, into that happy matrix. Mm-hmm. You know, this duality is like merging together, kind of like interlaced when you've got uh, high definition TVs now where you've got these lines that interlace to give you better detail. Maybe somehow we're everywhere and nowhere at the same time and we're um, attempting to, to go with this universal consciousness of vibration. And as the clock turns, we have to adapt or we, you know, kind of stay in this stagnant state. Yeah. Um, that, that's, but I wanted to show this. We were talking, let's talk about reptiles now. Let's, let's talk about the, the reptilian thing. I wanted to ask everybody real quick before you show it, Rex, and we go, yeah. I'll ask Matt first, but Rex, you explain, but I want us to say yes or no, they exist, but go ahead, Rex. Well, who's going first? Yes or no? No, you're, you're about to share something. Go. You go. Matt can go. Okay. So the, the whole reptilian thing, first of all, dinosaurs, like 
everything we're taught in school about history to me now, just about everything is questionable because history continues to rewrite itself. Right. So why not there be reptoid beings thousands or millions of years ago? They were like scientists. They were bipedal reptoid dudes or you know, reptoid chicks. I mean, we've got plenty of artifacts that are seven to 10,000 years, actually closer to 7,000 years old that show these reptoid yep. type beings. Yeah. And they don't, I'm they not scared them. of that, dude. I mean, maybe if he's really hungry and, you know, he's looking for, <laughs> but no, I mean, and I would say this, there's reptiles that are vegan. So maybe these reptoids, maybe a lot of them are vegan and maybe they had a civil war just like humans did. And maybe the bad guys won and they, you know, they're pitching there. And like you said, they want to control the waveform. They want to control the thoughts and the people's minds. So in order for them to do so, they just paint the picture of, oh yeah, eight foot tall reptoids eat people. That's what they do. And then if you think that you're either crazy or maybe there really are, I don't know but maybe they don't. And here's another one I wanted to show real quick. This one right here. I love this one because this is a female reptoid chick. And guess what? She's not eating anybody. She's not like devouring on somebody's flesh. She's actually nursing her child. So, um, I mean, does that look evil to you? Maybe, maybe if you don't know what it is and it's different, but is it even a reptile? I don't know. Maybe it's a dinosaur. I mean, there's so many questions I have that I wouldn't be surprised at this whole narrative about reptoids and they're so evil. Well, maybe there's a little pocket of them that were, and now they're controlling the media and they've figured out a way to influence these groups in a, in a uh, telepathic kind of, kind of mindset. That's what I think they're doing. They're controlling people's minds. It's a reptilian consciousness. Go ahead, Matt. But let me just say this real quick. Cause I know okay. I've told you guys this. Okay. This book, the Murder of Reality by Pierre Sabak is the most insane, well-researched book that has ever been put forth in humanity. And his thesis, which I won't read right here, but I'll send this and I'll Rex, you can share this as a link or whatever, because I posted posted this somewhere, you know, in the show notes. But I mean, he says that they are a predator consciousness, which is exactly what you just said they are. Essentially, they're controlling people's minds again through whatever means in this holographic construct that we exist in. So whether or not they really are eight to 12 foot alpha draconian beings like the movie Jupiter ascending shows us or not, they are some sort of parasitic negative consciousness that is keeping people down here. Go ahead, Matt. All right. So um, could they be the geneticists? Present some data. Rex, can you bring that picture up of the, um, that you had up a second ago? Okay, so um, I'm going to provide my analysis, and I would be happy for you guys to challenge it. Um, that's Beautiful. what healthy discussions are all about. Um, but Rex is going to bring that Ubaid um, artifact up really quick, and I want to talk about it. Okay, now this is the number one piece of evidence in the world to use for reptilians. But and I want to step back for a second before I present some of what I, how I believe this goes. Yes. There's definitely some weird aspects of ancient, ancient earth history where there was like a a hundred. I, and I absolutely do think that some scientific data, evidence-driven data based on the millions and millions and millions of bones that have been discovered is undeniable. There were gigantic reptiles that lived on this planet. That is undeniable. That happened Anyone who wants to challenge that, there, there's literally millions of bones around the world that have been found. It's, it's very complex that there was definitely a world here that was all reptiles. 
How that came to be is the ultimate question. Was there some kind of a race or a group that was more advanced that then created like the progenitors, kind of like the Anunnaki did with humans later, that created that? And if that's true, is it possible that that world where that existed was a deliberate event to destroy and dis- disrupt the climate of the planet so that those types of um, beings, those, those groups could not exist anymore? Yes. It's entirely possible that they could have engineered some kind of an asteroid or comet to literally hit in a certain place to create an environment where the Earth's entire axis and season shifted to promote a world where they would be destroyed. That's Those are some confusing aspects that I want to admit are, do exist, okay? And whether or not some of those beings, some of those like velociraptors somehow did change into some kind of a more intelligent state. We don't know. There's so much time in between there, millions and millions of years of, of just complete unknowing, unknowingness that I will point out that that is something that we want to keep in mind to, to not understand how, what role that plays. Having said that, there are other, there are concerns I have with us jumping on these artifacts and, and saying they're reptilian. So you just had that you bade our artifact up there on the screen a second ago. The U, for those who don't know, the Ubaid culture was a culture that existed around the same time as the Sumerians, okay? That was an area that was in the Fertile Crescent region. Now, notice that that, that, stru- that uh, artifact has a, hu- a human body, okay? It's got a head that looks different, but a human body. I believe that is completely symbolic. It does not represent a reptilian being at all. I believe it represents the headedness, the mentality of what that being was. She's nursing a baby, right? She's got two breasts, just like a human. She's nursing a baby, but she's got a serpent head. I think that this, that depiction is of some powerful royal queen or someone very, very powerful who is extremely intelligent. Now, I want to get into why I, I think that. It's very easy to see the way something looks in a linear form and just jump on it being linear except that we have to understand that the serpent and the dragon are two of the most important symbols of ancient cultures throughout history. And the other one that comes in is the, gra- is the, uh, the eagle and the griffin. Now, what do these mean? Well, I want to give you an example just to, right out of the gate for people to know what the serpent is and how it's not repre- necessarily representative or connected in any way to a reptile, okay? First off, the dragon is the metamorphosis of the serpent. That's why, that's why in uh, the Aztec and the Mayan realms, you find Kukulkan and Quetzalcoatl are called the feathered serpents, meaning something that ascends to a higher form. Now, think about it right now. Our highest form of um, establishment, the medical industry, the rod of Asclepius. Uh, Rex, can you bring up the rod of Asclepius really quick? Um, you could just look, you can type in medical symbol. It'll probably pull, pull up too. talk about the caduceus staff. Correct. And then also like Jay just said is the staff of Hermes, the caduceus, both of those symbols, Rex is going to pull them up. Both of those symbols have a serpent interwoven in the middle at the top with wings for ascension, especially with the, um, the staff of Hermes. Now, we know if you look at ancient Hindu cultures that the kundalini energy of of energy vortex of our bodies connecting to higher chakra centers to reach kundalini is always shown as a coiled energy. It's a coiled energy that unfolds. And that's why the ancients use the symbol of a serpent, because it looks just like 
the vibrational frequency of a human being as their energy ascends to a higher state. It was symbolism is literally the language of the ancients. Mathematics may be the language of the universe, but symbolism is the language of the ancients. And that's why I'm going to just give you another example. So in the creators of the civilization, the pre-civilizations of the Maya and the Aztec, okay, and even down into the the, the pre-Inca, those those gods, those beings are shown as a serpent dragon, but really it was just a symbol to show that that was the mentality that created those civilizations. We see all throughout depictions of when, I'll give you an example, Toth in ancient Egypt had the symbol of an ibis head. He did not have an ibis head. That's because he's a careful teacher. So you use an ibis because it's a bird that's extremely careful and patient. So that was why he had that depiction. Whereas in Egypt, you also see all the heads of the lions and the crocodiles. Those are simply symbols to show different mentalities. Now, I want to get back to one important critical point here. In the Americas, again, getting back, Kukulkan and Quetzalcoatl in Viracocha the creator gods of the Maya, the Aztec, and the pre-Inca. They all have very detailed descriptions of what that teacher looked like. Very detailed. You could find in each culture, and they all say the same thing. It was in a, a tall Caucasian man with a long white beard. That's how Kukukan, Quetzalcoatl, and Viracocha are all described. The exact same way. Now, the last point I want to make. When Cortez conquered the Aztec empire, when he met Moctezuma in Teotihuacan in 1519, Moctezuma gave him like keys to the whole kingdom. Basically they would not have conquered. The Aztec was the largest army in all the Americas. They would have got wiped out. There was only a few hundred of them versus thousands of soldiers in in the armies of the Aztec. The only reason they were able to do that was because Moctezuma thought he was the returning God Quetzalcoatl. That's what he thought because Cortez looked exactly like um, um, Quetzalcoatl did. Okay. Now I want to point out that I believe that's on purpose where the church, okay, the Spanish empire and connections with all of these other ancient secret societies knew that he was Quetzalcoatl was supposed to be prophesized to return during that time period. And so Cortez was supposed to imitate him. Hence how he was able to achieve conquering the entire Aztec. So the symbol of the serpent and dragon are some of the most important ancient symbols in the world for reaching higher stages of consciousness and energy, and also the divine feminine, whereas the eagle and the griffin represent the divine masculine. That's why there have been secret societies of the brotherhood of the serpent, the brotherhood of the dragon, and the brotherhood of the eagle. And they've essentially been fighting back and forth, these factions of secret societies for thousands of years, and it still continues today. It's uh, intergalactic chess. And, you know, it's also fascinating when you look at these statues, like the one in the center here. I just want to show this off real quick. It's got the elongated skull. Notice that? It does, which is very interesting. We find that all over the world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, there's so many questions and so many possibilities. Could these beings that we call reptoids or shapeshifters and somebody made a comment in the comment section that i started shapeshifting when we started talking about shapeshifters and you're actually right that did happen but it was the webcam it wasn't me really um so yeah what are we talking about guys no (laughs) fast jay's like what (laughs) i love it this is so cool so what was there a time when reptoids walked the earth were they our geneticists 
are we sharing the same genes? But did the reptoids have mammalian DNA also? Or were no. they just straight up reptiles that just thought about them, you know, just thought about survival and found some way to, you know, had some other intelligence that's there. So they were incredible technologists. I don't know. It's it's a combination of things, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I dig what Matt was talking about, because that's a perspective that I really never fully um, uh, considered, to be quite honest with you. I have studied the Ube culture extensively. Now, there is all, there is somewhat limited information on them because the culture obviously is kind of lost into uh, the knowledge was lost about them. But they did find quite a bit of the statuettes. Right. But it, what is interesting is you know, some of the statuettes uh, show um, one of the reptilian males, uh, some of them being, you know, royalty or kings having that staff. Uh, some obviously being like queens, but some also looking just like standard workers. Um, and then if you look at the Nag Hammadi scripts, if we go from the physical form to the multidimensional form, they talk about something that looks like uh, that resembles in the etherical form what they would consider to be a gray alien and a reptilian right. that had the capability of manipulating mankind's consciousness. And specifically, the reptilian form of this, this multidimensional, fourth dimensional being would like connect to the back of a human being and like manipulate them or play them like a puppet, kind of like what even Rex had talked about a little earlier. And so, and, and also you, Jay. So it's kind of oh. weird how. Um, you have, you know, both of these. Now, also, I remember uh, a story that was researching about, you know, reptilians. And there was this city, believe it or not, underground in Los Angeles. Yeah. Where yeah. the lizard people, lizard beetle, lizard people catacomb city. And these people were actually hunted and hunted down to try to be killed and everything else. But it, it made the news. It made the newspaper yeah. and it it, yep. it it become kind of really popular at the time that there was this underground cavern underneath Los Angeles, where, which has been documented that they supposedly found some of these reptilian type of people at one time and obviously a long time ago, but not in the ancient past. So it's pretty interesting. You still hear these stories of physical beings that represent this reptilian look that have these features. And then also, you know, going back into uh, the Nag Hammadi scripts where they have this multidimensional capability maybe to phase shift in and out of our third dimension but still have the capability of controlling mankind's consciousness so it's it's pretty interesting i i believe that they exist both in both formats uh, just because um all i have to go by is circumstantial evidence and i can only go by what the what our ancestors left behind and i'm i'm kind of assuming since you know these people didn't have netflix and all these other kind of things to take up their brain that where they only really talked about things that they thought were probably real. And I think that there's a possibility, I'm not saying for sure, but I think it's a possibility that they were not only some physical form, something that maybe had represented or looked very similar to a reptilian type of being that came here from another planet, but also, um, you know, probably, probably this also this multidimensional. I know what's interesting about this draconian, this, uh, you know, alpha draconis and this right. draconian. I know that you, that's tied really like to Greece as well. And Egypt. And Egypt, yes. yes. You know, it's pretty interesting. And so this thing seems to persist all the way down the timeline. Right. It's almost as if like, man, something really happened that can be affiliated with some type of uh, either reptilian consciousness or way of thinking or, um, or, 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 or something physical. You know, it's just it's really intriguing, man. I've, I've really been looking into it for the last few years. Um, obviously, 
the 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 information is far few in between. But what some of the cultures have talked about, besides it being more archetypal and 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 metaphoric, there seems to have been something here that kind of did look reptilian. Okay, so I'm going to go. This is the highlight of my show now because this is I prepared a lot of information and I am prepared to go as deep as you guys want to go on this. Now, let me just say first off to the man that we owe all of our lives on this show to the great Gerald Clark. Gerald and I had very deep discussions about the reptilians. Okay. Gerald did not think Gerald knew that they existed. I had many conversations. I probably have Mm. IM threads on my Facebook that if I wanted to somehow go and find him and talk about the things that he said, you know, he really, that one conversation with an alien or whatever, talking about reptilians, Gerald and I had really deep conversations so this book just came out in 2020 in December. It's by Neil Haig. Have you had Neil on your show, Rex? Okay, get him on your show. Talk to him about this book. It's called Orion's Door, Symbols of Consciousness and Blueprints mm-hmm. of Control. The story of Orion's influence over humanity. He has a chapter in here about the reptilians. It's the best I've seen other than Pierre Sabak's book. Mm-hmm. Now, Pierre Sabak's book, again, The Murder of Reality, I want to read this just a couple of paragraphs because it's essential. Now, again, Pierre is the foremost researcher on etymology and the root origin language of the context of spirituality in all the organized religions. I mean, he is a, a genius of the highest order. And again, he's his knowledge of all the cultures is amazing. But this is what he said. This book took him 17 years to write. And he says, this work has taken me nearly 17 years to research and is intended as an academic textbook on the cultic symbolism of the snake. It's primarily a comprehensive study of language. The book addresses the ultimate crime, the murder of reality. It details historically the involvement on this planet of a non-human race of creatures that are reptilian in appearance only. Mm. They are a predator that rules the human mind through thought manipulation implanted in the fabric of language itself. Billy, at the beginning, I was telling you that Pierre's thing is the, he calls it the dialectic and they have a dual double entendre. The intention of the predator is to hold humanity in a construct or a conceptual framework that is reptilian in characteristic. Engineered through the inheritance of language, this research demonstrates a universal code written in symbols. So again, the brotherhood of the serpent, the priest class, a lot of these ancient societies have been taught by them, in my opinion, to understand this stuff. He says, my book is the first of its kind. It analyzes the control of thought and its influence upon collective reality via etymology, which is, again, the study of words, which means in Greek, etumos. In essence, the human species has had its thought processes hijacked and rewired. Sadly, we have lost the ability to think like a mammal. Trapped like a rat in a maze, paralyzed in a construct not of our making, the handlers of man lurk deep in their cesspits. My book casts some light and reveals its shadow, this terrible force working at the core of humanity. He even has a picture of them from, I guess, I don't know what ancient text, but he calls them the Serpentinegua. Now, again, this book is from 2010, and it's 587 uh, pages, and it is deeply uh, cited in research. All I will say is there is something, Billy, you kind of hit it out of the park. It's a consciousness now, whether it's fourth dimensional, second dimensional, again, etheric, astral, whatever, that is still puppeteering the lower vibrational beings on this planet. If you want to call it reptilian, you want to call it parasitic, you want to call them archons, whatever it is, they are 
energy vampires. And when you're vibrating down here, they can, as you said, Billy, puppet you. And you said it too, Rex. And again, what do we see them in physical form? I mean, there are people out there. I mean, no, Rex, you've had uh, the, the, what's his name, who's been on your show, uh, who's talked about seeing reptilian. There are definitely people in our community that have seen reptilians. I know a woman who has seen one. Do they shape shift? I don't really know. I think they use some sort of technology. You know, again, if they're a fourth dimensional consciousness and they can inhabit a physical waveform, you know, avatar body, that would be something that would easily be, you know, come off as technology. But there's no way. And, you know, one of my friends, because they knew we were doing the show today, that he wanted to be to mention the dragons and the whole mud fossil and all of that. You know, there's so much evidence now that they can see of literally there were dragons on this planet. Mm-hmm. I will just say, too, that I think the dinosaurs is a total scam. I was a huge, I'm a huge dinosaur fan. I grew up with dinosaurs. I've played time with dinosaurs. The majority of the dinosaur information, in my opinion, is the dragons. And they have manipulated us again to teach us about T-Rex and Velociraptor and all these different things. But I think that it really is dinosaurs were the dragons. And again, there is now imagery all over this planet from satellites that shows like these gigantic dragon-esque beings you know, life forms that are laying all over as like, you know, giant sedimentaceous, uh, fossilized, whatever. And they, I mean, they look like dragons. I mean, again, you know, if it looks like one, you know, I, it's not speaking like one cause it's ancient, but I just think that we have been again, uh, it, it, what's the word, um, hijacked mentally as Savak says in the book to think that these beings never existed. And Matt, your experience, I mean, your explanation is amazing. I agree with all of that with the um, the Kundalini and the energy and the consciousness of the serpent and all of that stuff. And there's obviously Viracocha and Quetzalcoatl and all of that stuff, you know, proves that these were probably like amazing cultural builders who came out after the deluge to rebuild society and give give mankind the fire. But I still think that there's just too much proof elsewise. I also want to say that they have engineered, meaning them, reptilians or whoever they are, the removal from the, the world from them. There's just not enough information. It seems like they talk about the dragon. They talk about the serpent. They talk about all these different things, but then there's nothing there other than just like impressing on our consciousness that the dragon guards the treasure layer. So there's something about this where they have made this amazing effort to, again, rewrite or erase their presence from our historical narrative. And so that's my take. But again, I would encourage anyone who wants to find out more about the reptilian presence as a consciousness to read Pierre Savak's book, The Murder of Reality. It is a profound book. Can I add something to that, guys? Please. Okay, so I want to just comment on what Jay just said a second ago. Um, so I have actually gone on paleontology digs and actually found dinosaur bones. Um, and I've seen extensive footprints. I've uh, done a lot of geology work. So I'm not sure why you would think that dinosaurs aren't real, but then dragons are. That's a little confusing to me in that in that context. Um, but I do, but I do support the idea that we don't know all the life forms that exist in the in the universe, and there's no way for us to distinctively say whether or not something doesn't or does exist just based on the the lack of information that we have. But I I do I do firmly believe, and I want to add just a couple of layers to that, is that. Um, Getting back to George Smith's book, The Chaldean Account of Genesis, one of the really interesting things he mentions that I haven't talked about is that 
he, when he was looking at the tablets that came from the Babylonians, they talked about how there was two principal races, principal races in, um, on earth and, and that, that defined the cosmos. And they had names that they gave, they gave for them. And they had descriptions that were very interesting to me because the first one they called were the Adamu, um, which is the, the race of man. Uh, Adam, Adamu, Adamu was one of the ancient terms used. Billy and I have done shows where he's also called the Dapa, the, the first perfect man when mankind was established in a, in a state of perfection. But there's another term that has come up from Babylon that I've never seen before. And I think it was like a term that nearly died out. Um, and he, he goes on to describe a second set of beings. He calls them, according to the Babylonians, the Sarku. S-A-R-K-U. And, but he says that they were under the same, the description of them is almost identical to the way that Genesis describes the two principal races of the race of man and the, and the, the children of God, which I found to be a very interesting way to connect to what the Emerald Tablets says as well. Because in the Emerald Tablets, he talks, Toth talks about how there's a, a group of creator beings that are literally like part of source that go out there like they call them they, they call them the children of men in there and they have a couple of different names and but they their their role is very interesting because apparently they're in, in course in this context god guys it's i know it's a very polluted term but whatever this intelligent um creator of the multiverse is where everything is based on these um perfect golden ratio numbers and designs on perfection right and the more you look into the design of the universe, the, the more you look at the fact that if anything, if, if it was even close to design by chance, it would all have imploded on itself and never existed. We know for a fact that there's a, there's a creative designer now, but that's, what's interesting about the Sarku, who I think are the same as the Anuna and the Anunnaki is that not some group of beings personally, I don't believe that they're not like a group of beings of humanoids, like on a planet that became so advanced that they then traveled out and then influenced other places. I don't think that's how this is at all. In fact, I think that the more that I've studied this, that they may literally be like extensions of source, some kind of a, a creative and intelligent energy that's supposed to go out and create and everything come back. I think that's where the terms angels and demons really comes in is that they're the same thing, but they're part of like a, a higher realm, realm group of races. Now, I want to get into what the whole point of this is that they came here. Okay. They came here and they created us based on many different reasons. One, not wanting to be part of the physical reality of being on a, in a place because they're, they saw themselves as higher form, but we're supposed to be created in their image as a God in a physical realm where there are physical ramifications for their actions, where being this individual, you can incarnate into any of these humans and experience this kind of reality. It's like if you were advanced beings from wherever, creator beings or even source, you could almost experience what it's like to be in a physical reality through us because we are basically the perfect creation of those, of those beings. But which is why I think there's so much interest from so many in how our story goes and why our story may be so important because of all those factors. Now, whether or not there were reptilians involved in that from some ancient grudge over maybe how we destroyed their um, the place that they used to exist in here, uh, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing is that we are being competed over from 
either side of duality, which the Anuna talk very extensively, the Anunnaki talk very extensively about how they assume roles in every aspect of our reality, roles in a negative and a positive way. And so therefore, I, like, I wonder if these, the enemies of who we think are something are maybe just part of the same exact system of maybe creating certain stresses to push humanity to another level. I think it's complicated though. Two things I left off real quick before any of you guys speak. Uh, you said the emerald tablets and Billy knows better than everyone that Toth actually talked about the dark brotherhood. And he yeah. said that they were reptilian in nature. He said he serpent said headed. He didn't say reptilian. He said serpent headed. Okay. Well, he's saying about as close as you could say it. He also talked about how to glamour them and how a specific word, which was Kaninigan, could make them reveal their natural countenance. Now, the other thing I left off, very important, I won't go into detail, is all of the special projects people, the original luminaries, you know, the Beheld the Pearl Horse guy, they all talk about the reptilians being underground in, you know, Mexico, Dolce, Area 51, you know, all of these underground honeycomb cities or whatever's going on. So my opinion, and I didn't say this and I apologize, is that Billy, they somehow stayed here. They moved into the inner earth, whatever that is. And that's how they run people or puppet people from a reptilian conscious standpoint. You know, they have high tech, whatever. Um, but that's just, again, my opinion. I left that off, but I, I, I felt that that was important that we didn't forget about those people mentioning that. I mean, there's a lot that's been written about that. Ladies and gentlemen, Jay Campbell. And you've got Yoda behind you, dude. That's awesome. I mean, that helps, bro. Yeah. That's a really cool backdrop. I like that. It is. That's you, but you're like seven foot tall and weigh 240 and bench 800 pounds. I'm a reptilian, bro. I'm just keeping my face covered. <laughs> I've been called a reptilian so many times in the last few months. It's crazy. He's a reptilian. His eyes don't blink and, and you know, whatever. That's a whole other thing. But, yeah. He doesn't age. Yeah, I don't age. And I'm a, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's been wild. It's been, it's been a wild last few months. All I can do is laugh. You know, that's all I can do. Nope. <laughs> Take it as a badge of honor. Keep you in yeah. love, bro. When you laugh, you stay in the love vibration. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> oh, this man. is awesome. I really feel like this is one of our best conversations we've had. Amazing. It is. It is for sure. Yeah, this is deep stuff, man. <laughs> so, and, and it's going to get better because remember, Matt gave us quotes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we, have, we have at some point, if you want to, if we want to switch over to gears, we can talk about like the positive aspects of going into the age of Aquarius and some of the teachings and the mindset that we should follow for yeah. that transition. Yeah. Yep. I'm with it. Sounds good. Rock and roll. You guys want to do that now? Yeah. Sure. yeah. Let's do it, man. Perfect. And so um, for those who don't know, so normally we read like an ancient text. Today's choice, um, because of moving into the age of Aquarius, um, I think that today's reading um, is excellent. It's one of my favorite um favorite things that's ever been said, I guess you could say, to be honest. For those who don't know, Terrence McKenna, um, one of the most brilliant minds of our of our time. And um, for those you, you may you may become uh, come in contact of um, his brother, uh, Dennis McKenna, is still alive and does does shows. And they're famous for do, having a lot of um, 
um, psychoactive experiences allowed to them to enter other realms and come back with all this profound knowledge and all these profound teachings. And Terrence McKenna was um, the head of a great movement that we're going to talk about at the end of this reading known as the Transcendentalism Movement. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a really, really interesting aspect that is not, is a little bit lost today. But so what I want to do is we're going to do a group reading before we get to the end of this. um, And because people love those. And so today's reading comes from one of my favorite talks ever done called the light in nature and transcendental object lecture. And it was one of the last lectures that Terrence McKenna did before he died. And I do think that he was one of the most brilliant men of all of human history. He was a, a truly brilliant man. And so um, I guess we're going we're gonna to read a passage from that. And this is directly related to how uh, last time we did a Mayan prophecy reading to this, this reading will be uh, in a similar mindset, which is where are we going? We're going into the age of Aquarius. How are we going to get there? And, and what are these tools that we need to take with us? Right. on that on that difficult journey. So Billy, why don't you go ahead and get us started here? Beautiful, beautiful intro. What is happening now in this archaic revival, a parking back to cultural models 10 to 25,000 years old because the profane fall into history is actually ending. The way the fall of history ends is with the progeny of Adam, the human race, recovering the control of human form and the control of the human soul. Rex. Yep. The ability to turn ourselves into whatever we wish to be. This comes through the union of the imagination through understanding into nature, the invocation of the dream. This is what the Australian Aborigines is talking about, or also, this is what the dream time is. Beautiful. The message that nature is trying to give the steering signal on the human species comes through the accessing of the shamanic dimension outside of history. Revolutions are made by the tiny percentage of the population. That would be us, guys. It means being aware of the vastness of the options of the precipice that late 20th century historical human beings stand on. We are about to leave for the stars. This is what is happening on the planet. To do that, energy must be marshaled. The lessons of the long march to this moment have to be collated, sifted, refined, concentrated. That is the alchemical goal in our destiny. Wow. So um, what, what that all comes down to is this idea of this spiritual movement that is largely unknown today called, called transcendentalism. And the whole concept, core concept behind that is the belief that the inherent goodness and potential exists within people to reach higher states of consciousness and energy through a greater connection with nature and the cosmos. This is highly dependent on the purity of the individual through nurturing environments that both promote self-reliance as well as creativity and imagination. Transcendentalism is strongly influenced by ancient cultural beliefs, such as Hinduism, in order to establish a connection with the mind, body, and spirit back to the nature and the universe. Beautiful. Right on. Beautiful stuff, man. This is a great I mean, podcast. I guess I just wanted to, yeah, I want to give you guys, get you guys take on this as well. And you can all, I think it'd be great for us to all give just some tips and some understanding of how people can find some happiness during these dark times as we're entering a new, a new age and how um, what we're going through is simply just that 
the end struggle before a, a new horizon, a new dawning ahead of us. And I just want to point out like what really what he's saying there is that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience here who have lost our connection with nature, who have lost our connection with the cosmos. And through the unity of what's known as the Trinity, the mind, body, and soul, that's what encompasses our entire state of energy. When we're able to balance those three things, we're able to become gods. And that is how we're supposed to enter this new age. But like the reading said, it's not based on the overwhelming majority of the population. It's based on a tiny percentage of the population leading the pack, carrying the torch into that new age so that the the rest won't be lost in darkness. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, one of the things I recommend to people a lot is understanding the true power that's inside of us already. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are literally walking around here waiting to die so they can live. Right. People have heard me say this before. You're supposed to live right now because your, your goal right now is to learn, understand and ascend through conscious thought, not to just uh, basically live, run the, pro, the software program until, you, until your body drops <laughs> And you're just going to come back again and do it all over again. You have to learn in this lifetime, but you also have to enjoy this life as well. I think the real mission here is to bring heaven to earth. And yep. that's something that's been a lost thought. It's, you know, and I believe that the way that people right now, 85% of the world is religious. And the way that people are operating with their prayer life, because I do believe in prayer, but I think they're doing it from the mindset of this reptilian right. uh, th- teaching, where it's all about begging, hoping, wishing. The outside sources will come in and save you. Whereas in my opinion, that does not seem to work. I think what really does work is understanding the power that's already inside of you. And then understanding that the power that created everything in the entire universe, that spark is inside of every atom in your body. And that you yourself have the same uh, authority to command realities as well. And that we begin to pray from understanding as it is already done. And that is actual prayer. It's complete. They have a saying in China where they say, Wuxia, Wuxia, at this healing facility. And Wuxia means it's a prayer that they pray over sick people and the people are healed. What the prayer is, the prayer is actually saying it is done. That's the whole prayer. <laughs> but they say it with such conviction. And the person uh, that's, that's also saying it with them is, is believing that it's already done. And so that person actually can be cured. And so we ourselves have to have that same conviction, that same understanding, that same knowledge and understanding that we ourselves are God and also God is us. It does, it's not an insult to the creator or creators. What it's saying is we understand the true power of nature of the universe and what's been imbued into us and how to utilize that in our lives. And I think when people really understand the power that's inside of them and that they themselves have ability to make changes in their reality tunnel and even control what's outside of that collectively, then uh, we'll start to see some light. They'll start to see some relief. And also they'll start to ascend to higher levels of thought and even more success in whatever it is in their life. Well, so that was so beautifully about. profound. Rex, are you okay if I go or you want to go? Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. So consciousness is my jam. You guys know that now. That's all I really talk about. Uh, I, I enjoy these kind of conversations with your guys' prodigious intellects and, you know, with such an amazing podcast today, but this is the kind of stuff. All I read is consciousness. I'm reading a book right now called Consciousness is What I Am mm. by Joel, Gold, Joel S. Goldsmith. It's a profound book, but to what you just said, Billy, and let me just say without like labeling or judging or condemning religion, whether it's controlled by the reptilians or not, is a worship of the external. And Billy, you just said it beautifully 
everything that any of us need is inside us. Mm-hmm. We are our own saviors. Let me read you a couple of the statements from this book. What is the secret of enlightenment? The answer is that mystics discovered that there is a part of a man and woman's being, which is divine. And that is the light within themselves, which is a presence and a power. The Christ of your own consciousness is the illumined infinite divine consciousness, breaking through the mind of an individual and appearing as a human being. Mm. Okay. Now, if anyone can understand what that means, all of the ancient sages, the ones that Matt has researched, the, these illumined beings, they were teaching us that we had the powers inside us. We were our own saviors. If Yeshua, a.k.a. Jesus, a.k.a. the Christ, whatever, was a real life being that did incarnate in here, it was to teach mankind that each of us had the power to raise our vibration. Mm-hmm. through love, through peace, through kindness, through compassion, through service to the greater good. That's all that you need. Yeah. Every single one of us, you said, Billy, too, I, I'm repeating you. We all can create our heaven and earth through our words and our thoughts and our actions. It is a mindset. Yeah, I am is the divine consciousness. And again, at the beginning of understanding this, all of us have to get to a place that all we are is consciousness. You're not going to die. Consciousness is energy, which is infinite and ever expanding. So get out of this mindset that you have this finite existence in this physical body. These are avatars for our soul evolution and growth. Mm. Something you said before, Billy, which was profound. And again, this will piss off a lot of religious people because they've been forced to understand that that, that religion and, and saviors are external. But God, source, universal consciousness the creation, the creator, as Matt said, the I love that the multiverse creator is learning to. Okay. When you want to think and don't get this crossed, of course it's omniscient, but it also is learning through the holographic spark fractals of souls, which is each of us, which is every sentient creature and non-sentient, probably. It's learning from our experiences. So, yes, we are in a simulated holographic constructural reality paradigm, but we are all doing things to evolve and grow our soul. If you choose the V, you needed that for soul contrast and growth. If you don't like us and you're like, nah, man, I'm sovereign. I'm not going to do that. That's also for soul growth. Nobody is doing anything that is wrong. We're all walking the same path back to creation, to perfection. And no path is better than another and no speed or rate of speed is different. It's all the same. We cannot judge or condemn any other person for what they do because at base soul essence, everything is for evolution and growth. And I'm just grateful that I have this ability to speak to all four of you guys, that we can put this information out there because each of us has a choice every single morning when we wake up to be the greatest, the best, the most loving, the most creative, the most concerned, the most compassionate, the most combined human that we can choose to be. And I'll just end by saying that we have to be more being and less doing, and we can be more being by waking up every single morning and having a ritual of attaining that inner still peace. 
through meditation, through contemplation, through introspection, through grounding in nature. I see Matt's amazing stories on Facebook. He's up in the mountains at like 10,000, 12,000 feet in the snow. And I'm like, that is God. Yeah. That is where you are communing with God. The energy and frequency of nature is God in physical third dimensional reality. And each of us needs to, and needs is a bad word, but chooses to get into nature as much as possible. And you will start absorbing yeah. that divine frequency so guys i love all of you man and i appreciate being here with you love That's you too it, man yeah yeah man love you brother and i wanted to show you all something real quick and what i wanted to say in finishing up this amazing podcast and looking forward to the next one this is a recent uh white paper kinematic self-replication in reconfigurable organisms it's describing how scientists in a laboratory took you know scraped some cells off of these um off of these frogs Mm -hmm. and they use artificial intelligence and really high level computer technologies to get these um, essentially they turned into Pac-Man and they started recreating with the matter around them. And it's telling me that there's consciousness in everything. They're called Xenobots. There's consciousness in everything, and and life itself is designed to survive and designed to co-create, and that's the beauty of the the situation that we're in. So a few notes that I put together here was, let's be protectors of life, earth, creation, and imagination. What will you do when thoughts become reality, your thoughts? Will you be more careful about what you think? What will you do to change the world when you have the power? And act upon those thoughts that you know are powers that can and do manifest in your reality. So how do you impress your, your parents? How do you impress your family? And how will you impress your creator? What do you do to be a good steward of the earth? Be the change you want to see. Mm. Well said. Beautiful. Excellent. Right on. Well, you guys, great. yeah, the legends amongst legends. And looking forward to doing this again. I also wanted to give a shout out to your website. So let me go ahead and um, show off your YouTube channels. Also, I'm going to do a quick screen share here. Guys, I think we have to do this at least at least once a quarter, once a month. I mean, this is profound stuff, man. Yeah, 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 we do. We have to do it. Yeah, man. So Jay Campbell, subscribe. I am subscribed. Now, when you subscribe, make sure the bell is rung so you get all notifications. And then Matthew hit that bell, all notifications, Matthew LaCroix, and then Forbidden Knowledge News, subscribe, all notifications, Billy Carson, Forbidden Knowledge. You've all, you're all, you've all got your own websites too. Yeah. So do me a favor and give me the links so I can put it in the video description box for all your websites and links to get a hold of you. And now how do I turn this thing on? Stop. I don't want you on anymore. Stop share. There it is. <laughs> keeps changing everything. It's hilarious. Beautiful opportunities, ladies and gentlemen. Be excellent to each other. Be the change you want to see. Yeah. Peace. Thanks so much. See you later. See you guys later. Hi, I'm Billy Carson, researcher, speaker, and best-selling author of the Compendium of the Emerald Tablets and Woke Doesn't Mean Broke. I'm inviting you to join me on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv to enjoy hours of great programming. Learn the secrets of ancient Egypt, unexplained structures on the moon and Mars, financial literacy, holistic and healthy lifestyles. 
Go now to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv and get three days free. While there, you can enter to win a Rolls Royce. That's ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. You are watching Forbidden Knowledge TV. Hi, my name is Billy Carson, and I'm the president of Forbidden Knowledge. We have an amazing investment opportunity here for anyone who wants to buy shares in Forbidden Knowledge. The money that's generated from this crowdfunding platform is going to be used to bring on a new content acquisitions partner. We're going to hire a new in-house graphics designer, a social media manager, a put together a customer service team and a customer service management program that will organize and satisfy all the different legs of Forbidden Knowledge Inc. As well as, and of course, make more improved high quality streaming content for the Forbidden Knowledge TV platform, which right now is featured on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, iOS and Android apps, and also, of course, the web. The streaming platform is a year old right now and doing very, very well. And we're looking for your support where you can not only be a conscious customer, but also be a part owner in an amazing opportunity that includes streaming TV, book publishing, and e-commerce. Grow with us and earn with us. Forbidden Knowledge, Inc. You are watching Forbidden Knowledge TV. This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30 days free. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today.